Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Since 2013, Bombus has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and t shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombus donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombus.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com/people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com/pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. An Erio's original. I was born with a special gift: the ability to mentally transform any situation into the worst-case scenario in my own brain. My therapist calls my gift catastrophizing, and that's why I'm uniquely qualified to scrutinize and analyze history's greatest disasters and find out who's to blame. They say history repeats itself. Not on my watch. My name is Rebecca Delgado Smith, and I am the alarmist. Everyone, thanks for tuning into The Alarmist, a comedy podcast where we talk about history's greatest tragedies and figure out who's to blame. Today, we're discussing the Tenerife Airport disaster. Here's what you need to know: On March 27, 1977, Los Rodeos Airport on the Spanish island of Tenerife, the largest of the Canary Islands, was congested with planes that weren't supposed to be there. Earlier that day, a terrorist attack at Las Palmas Airport on the nearby island of Gran Canaria had forced incoming flights to divert, including KLM Flight 4805 coming from Amsterdam and Pan Am Flight 1736 en route from Los Angeles after a stop in New York. Both the KLM and Pan Am planes were Boeing 747s, the biggest, most glamorous jetliners ever built, and larger than the usual planes coming in and out of Los Rodeos. Shortly before both planes were scheduled to depart the island, the weather changed drastically, and a heavy blanket of fog enveloped the airport. The planes were further delayed when KLM made a last-minute request for more fuel, due to the heavy traffic that day. The 747s would be required to back taxi, 
a procedure that involved taxiing down the runway, then making a 180-degree turn before taking off in the opposite direction. Not only was there low visibility that day, but Los Rodeos Airport was not equipped with ground-tracking radar. The KLM was the first to taxi onto the runway. The Pan Am followed several hundred yards behind and was instructed to take the third exit off the runway in order to allow for KLM to take off first. KLM's Captain Van Zanten successfully taxied the length of the runway, made the 100-degree turn, and then stopped at the end of the runway, awaiting instruction from the control tower. Meanwhile, because of the poor visibility, the Pan Am pilots missed their assigned exit, leaving both planes on the same runway, invisible not only to each other, but to the control tower as well. With both planes stopped, unknowingly, nose-to-nose, several hundred feet apart, KLM's first officer received the ATC route clearance, something they normally would have received much earlier, but had been delayed due to the chaos of the day. The pilots were tired and anxious to get going after all the delays, and the first officer acknowledged the ATC route clearance, which is not clearance for takeoff, rather a procedure outlining turns, altitudes, and frequencies for use once airborne. Then he followed that up with an unusual, hesitant, quote, we are now, uh, at takeoff. Captain Van Zanten immediately added, in both Dutch and English, let's go, and the KLM 747 began barreling down the fog-shrouded runway without permission. At takeoff was not standard phrasing for pilots, but it still caught the attention of Pan Am's first officer, who radioed to the control tower that their plane was still on the runway. The control tower radioed to KLM asking them to stand by until the runway was clear, but the simultaneous radio messages overlapped and were therefore never heard in the KLM cockpit. Ten seconds later, the control tower radioed to Pan Am again. Report when runway clear. We'll report when runway clear, replied the first officer. Both the captain and first officer of KLM still missed these latest messages, distracted by takeoff. But the second officer didn't. Alarmed, he asked them if the Pan Am was clear, and the captain insisted it was. Sensing danger, Pan Am captain Victor Grubbs decided to get off the runway. But mere moments later, the headlights of the KLM broke through the fog, coming right at them. Captain Grubbs thrust the plane's levers to full power. Look at him. Goddamn, that son of a bitch is coming, he said of the KLM flight fast approaching. He made the sharpest left possible, trying to reach the grass that lined the runway. Captain Van Zanten had finally seen the Pan Am plane, but it was too late. He tried to leapfrog, but ended up dragging the plane's tail along the pavement in a hail of sparks. Just as the plane broke ground, nearly clearing the Pan Am, the KLM's undercarriage and engines tore through the center of the Pan Am and the upper deck behind the cockpit, ripping the plane apart. KLM remained airborne for a few seconds before crashing further down the runway and bursting into an unstoppable fireball. The burned-out hulks of the two jumbos make very clear the extent of the human devastation. Many of the dead are so badly burned as to defy identification. 
The impact with the KLM plane traveling at more than 150 miles an hour was horrendous. It was just after 6 p.m. The fog had rolled thickly in over the airfield. There is no ground radar here, and it is absolutely sure that no one, neither the planes nor the airport tower, could see one another. There is no question of who hit whom. KLM hit Pan Am. That human error was involved is apparent, but whose? Critical evidence will come from the wreckage. The onboard recorders monitoring all cockpit conversations will provide vital clues. But until they are released, this collision remains a gruesome and unsolved tragedy. Fun Facts, a.k.a. Death Stats. All 234 passengers and 14 crew members on KLM Flight 4805 died in the crash. Of the 380 passengers and 16 crew members on Pan Am Flight 1736, 326 died at the site of the crash. Nine more people died later, bringing the total loss of life to 583 people and making this disaster the deadliest in aviation history. With us today, we have producer Amanda Lund. Hello, Rebecca. Hello to the Alarmy. Fact checker Chris Smith. Hi. And our very special guest today is Alan Strickland Williams, comedian, podcast host, uh, flight uh, 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 pilot? Question mark? <laughs> uh- <laughs> I am one hour into my pilot's <laughs> license. I, I, I love, I loved, I love getting asked to talk about this um, because of that. It's like, oh wow, um, there's You're, danger. You made it. You there's danger. It. There's danger in the skies and on the ground. Alan, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, can you tell our listeners a little bit about your your two podcasts, The Male Gaze and Fake Money? Okay, so The Male Gaze is um, it's me and um, three other guys, and we sort of talk about things in the news through like a you know liberal um, uh, uh, soy boy uh, woke <laughs> uh, lens. Um, we 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 where the the tagline is uh, deconstructing every news story um, or deconstructing masculinity every news story at a time. Um, but really, we just sort of like talk about what's going on in the world. And then the other one, fake money, is was kind of started about crypto, but it's kind of now morphed to be about like finance and how like money is fake and all that shit um like what is money right what is what is currency exactly yeah yeah (laughs) and what is social currency you know what i mean like (laughs) very valuable wow like a cool leather jacket (laughs) yeah exactly yeah high social currency if you have a cool leather jacket and you can you can you can barter with that cool leather jacket (laughs) exactly it has a value exactly (laughs) Um, so you're you're one hour into flight school, or your your flight. I, uh, I, I I don't know how this works. I took I took a they call it like an introductory lesson, and um, mm-hmm. it's really just to sort of like like you could you could do no you would not have to learn anything if you didn't want to, and you just want to like go up in a plane Show and fly up. over fly, fly over Malibu. Like you can just do that and look out the window, but. Um, yeah, it's something I've been interested in for a while. And then sort of, you know, with everything in the world, I was just sort of was like, life is short. Like, let me try to do this thing. Um, and it was, it's like literally, you, I sat in a little room for a couple of minutes and she like 
literally held up a little model airplane and was like, this is the propeller and this is the, (laughs) (laughs) and then, and then you go and then it's like, you know, it's obviously more of it. You do like the checklist and then you literally fly and, um, in, in the, in the soda can, um, but mm-hmm. it, it was awesome, and, you know, I got to do some maneuvers and stuff. So, anyway, I feel like I'm a super, like, seasoned pilot, and I yeah. have all authority to talk about what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, it's really <laughs> exciting because we have an expert. Uh, yeah. You know, we don't usually have an Just expert for these expert, but <laughs> episodes, yeah, you're but spoiler, wow. You're ready spoiler for alert, these, these, these pilots, they fucked up, okay? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and even, boy. even you know that after your one hour. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, amateur hour. Amateur hour with these guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so let's start putting things up on the board because there's just so many things, right? Um, we're going to get to the pilots. Um, but first, I think we should put the airport bombing that happened in Las Palmas. Yeah, they kind of uh, bury, bury the lead with this one. It's like the, 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 the terrorism of it all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah. (laughs) So uh, after the death of the Spanish dictator, Francisco Franco, there was a Canary Islands pro-independence armed movement based in Algeria called the Movement for the Independence and Self-Determination of the Canary Archipelago. M-A-I-A-C. That's their name. It's really (laughs) quick and and flows, uh, really flows nicely. Right. They need a PR. Rep. In 1977, the MAIAC placed a bomb at the Las Palmas Airport, an attack which redirected the Pan Am and KLM planes to Tenerife. Uh, New York Times says Secretary General of the MAIAC, Antonio Cubillo, said a separatist had planted the bomb at the airport in Las Palmas, the capital of Grand Canary Island, and then telephoned a warning at 1 p.m. They gave officials 15 minutes to evacuate the international airport. The homemade bomb exploded at 1.15, wounding four people, and I believe it did kill one. I don't know why they didn't say that. Um, Air traffic heading for Las Palmas, including the Pan Am and KLM Jumbos, was then diverted to the neighboring island of Tenerife, which was an international airport at Santa Cruz. If the authorities at Las Palmas diverted planes, even four hours after the bomb exploded, it was only to hide from the tourists that that very fact that we were at war. Hmm. The separatist leader said the Tenerife accident is thus their responsibility. Mm. So Tenerife was crowded. And the reason why because, was because of this bomb threat. Uh, yes. And it was also because, you know, a big part of it was that they were trying to hide from the tourists, which is, you know, one of the, you know, main uh economy tourism is the main economy of uh the canary islands they didn't want them to know they were you know being there was a terrorism attack Mm -hmm. i mean yeah it's it's just so um i don't know what the right word is but like i i didn't i I, when i read the 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 packet i was like oh wow like a, a terrorism attack it's just so crazy that the accident that happened is like a million times more you know, lives lost and everything than um than the terrorist attack. That's um that's fucked up. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. There's just sort of shock of that reality is is and sort of the irony of it is is uh, disturbing. 
Um, and it's like hard to like, I wouldn't know what to put on the board is basically what I'm saying, because like it's I mean, I guess you can talk about like a fact that an airport is like small and didn't have certain like Tenerife didn't have certain um, uh, safety equipment. protocols yeah, and yeah. equipment or something like they didn't have ground radar. Is that correct? Like it was all sort of by visual by sight. Uh, correct. Yeah. Right. And that's um, that's and- that's one thing that I will say that. So like. Um, I took my introductory class and then my instructor was like, look, if you want to continue on, read, there's like this thing called the, um, aeronautical, uh, pilot's manual or something, something along those lines. And, um, she was like, read the first two chapters to see if you, you know, want to keep going or whatever. And, um, that was like the cause of so many accidents was, um, if there wasn't, um, if it just wasn't purely visible and it sounds like it wasn't, it sounds like it was like mm. shrouded in frog or in yeah. frog and fog. And um, frogs. Yeah. It sounds like, I'm pretty sure it was like raining frogs at the time. I mean, unrelated, there was also the plagues was happening yeah, at the yeah. same time. Like maybe we should put that up on the board. <laughs> no. Yeah. Like firstborn sons were like being taken from their home. It was crazy. It was crazy. Um, but yeah, so like that, that is like, and um, I also think it's something like most accidents happen on the landing, but then like literally a percentage less than that is takeoff or taxiing Take even. Um, yeah. So yeah. so it's like it, this is like truly, truly, truly a perfect storm. Um, for, so should for- we put poor – Poor visibility. Poor visibility. Let's and put we poor can put, visibility up there. Yeah. And, and perhaps the clouds uh, we can okay. put up on the board. Um, and the clouds, clouds. Let's put the clouds. Cloud there clouds are different <laughs> from fog, I believe. I'm no weather expert. Okay. Well, well there's also, because we can also talk about the altitude, like where it was, the the airport, right? Tenerife was very, it was like at a higher altitude than I think most airports. And they were, they were I watched something where they were talking about how that lends itself to, uh, worse weather patterns interesting uh, uh, worse visibility too i mean the higher you are the more likely fog becomes cloud like what is the difference between fog and cloud well this is the question that amanda brought up um <laughs> yeah is fo- i think maybe Can you look that in, up please that, what's, yeah. what's the difference between frogs <laughs> and fog yeah and what's the difference between fog and <laughs> okay. cloud chris yeah, will get on throw, that throw frogs in there yeah it's weird. it's like is it like um a square is a rectangle but a rectangle isn't a square is it like a fog is a is cloud but Clouds aren't necessarily fog or something. Fog's like well, a low. Fog's like a low wet cloud, right? Okay. That's what I call well, <laughs> <laughs> let I, I have something here that might clarify. This is according to Carl E. Uh, Wyke. Tenerife is two thousand seventy three feet above sea level, and the sea coast is just a few miles away. This means that clouds, rather than fog, flow into the airport. Oh wow. Wow. When wow. KLM's crew backtracked, they saw a cloud 3,000 feet down the runway, uh, d- feet down the runway moving toward them at 12 knots, concealing the Pan Am plane on the other side. Pan Am was, t- it was clouds. Yes, yeah, so it was clouds. Like, that cloud looks like a plane coming out. <laughs> Pan Am was taxiing inside this cloud and passed its assigned runway exit because it could not see it. KLM entered that same cloud 
1,300 uh, feet into it, its takeoff roll, and that is where the collision occurred. The tower did not see the collision or the resulting fire because of the cloud, nor could the firefighters find the fire at first when they were summoned. Real, a true nightmare. So FYI, I got to the bottom of it. The fog forms ground up, so it forms based on the temperature of the ground interacting oh. with the air. The clouds mm. can form anywhere as long as it's in the air, but a cloud can come down and touch the ground, having the appearance of a fog. However, oh. it depends on origin. Huh. Wow. Good okay. job. Fact checker actually coming through with the facts. <laughs> <laughs> Alan, I, I usually go away for five minutes looking up something online and come back empty handed, but... Not today, Not Chris. Today. <laughs> I went to the right website today. Yeah. So we'll put the clouds up, not fog, for uh, causing this. We should also put rushing to comply with Dutch labor laws. Whoa. Okay. <laughs> so in uh, Remembering Tenerife by Gerard M. Brug- Brugink. According to the ALPA report in December of 1976, the Dutch government changed the work and rest regulations for flight crews. As a result, a captain no longer had the authority to extend duty time. The KLM crew discussed the possibility of... Duty time? Yes, like, come on. (laughs) Sorry. I mean, let's put that up there, honestly. Duty time? Yeah, not enough, not well. enough duty time. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> the KLM crew discussed the possibility of fines, imprisonment, or loss of licenses should the time limits be exceeded. The A- ALPA report said, according to the Spanish report, calculating the time limits had become enormously complicated and was impossible to do in the cockpit. The KLM captain uh, spoke to KLM's operations office in Amsterdam. He was told he would have no problem if he was able to take off before a certain time. The Flight Safety Foundation, in an article in its airport operations uh, March April, uh, March through April 2000, mentions how the influence of a punitive culture of either an airline or a civil aviation authority may affect a flight crew's decision to declare an, uh, an emergency. The duty time limits in this case must have constituted a punitive culture for the KLM captain who was under time constraints. Mm. So they were in a hurry because if they didn't get to Las Palmas at uh, at a certain time, they were going to have to stay in Las Palmas and not go back home. Right. And that it's so funny. There's actually in the handbook for the pilot stuff that sounds like a joke kind of – but uh, they literally list one of the biggest problems with um, accidents or anything is they call it get there itis, where it's just like the pilot or you or a passenger even just has this need to go. And it's sort of like, ta- and you know, like I, I, we've all been there, you know, like where it's like at a yeah. certain point, you just sort of like, are like, fuck it, I need to drive there even though like it makes less sense or whatever i'm just impatient but yeah that so that clearly definitely put that on the board get put put up put get their get itis their itis and, and, the, uh, yeah. and the dutch labor laws i thought you're it was when you're talking about dutch labor laws i i really thought you were going to say um something about like having to the, were the dutch the ones that had like 
the finger in the dike thing, or is that something else? Uh, like that, I don't like, know. Let like me... that, like it's an old, like it's an old story about like how they had like these dams, and like a little boy like put his finger in the. Da- anyway, I'm. I I'm, gotta. We will no, look this we, up. Amanda's on it. Um, because it, it, are you saying that's like a, a lesson? Uh, some I just of, don't like, know if it's like ind- indicative of the Dutch in general or something. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Okay, so this is a little Dutch boy who plugs a dike with his finger. Uh, I guess it's featured in a novel, The Silver Skates, or in a novel by Hans Brinker. I don't know. I'll have to look into it more, what but you those, seem to be on to, you seem to be on to something. Um, but I love this idea of get there-itis because it seems like this pilot was really suffering from this. I also threw a punitive culture on the board because I think that is so fascinating. And what that means is a culture where you fear punishment. Right. Um, and so I think that that's so like when there, you have someone who's in charge of people's lives, like a pilot, you really have to give them autonomy. It shouldn't be like me scrambling to like get to my hostessing job on time. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, cause I'm going to get written up. Like you have to be able to think clearly. Yeah. Well, on the other hand, like, isn't the air, aren't airlines like one of the, isn't airlines them one of the most highly regulated um, mm-hmm. industries. Mm-hmm. And so there are probably all kinds of rules and stuff that these pilots need to know about um, the safety the, protocol and whatnot the weird thing that he like what did he say um we're at takeoff we are now, now at takeoff we're yeah. now take, yeah like that's like it's like that's not a thing <laughs> that right. any pilot has ever said it's like well hold on wait hold on what who what'd you say <laughs> like that should have been like a really big um and it was obviously it was to like the one person paying attention but um yeah, it's weird too. Like, re, like you, you, I'm reading this handbook, and they have like multiple ways of what's the word like assessing risk and like trying to keep you in this constant state of like not getting complacent and like always checking your instruments and checking your surroundings and like you. There's like there's like a million mnemonic acronyms like in the book of like ways to. Look at your aircraft. Look at the environment mm. around you. Consider external pressures. Like it's like the PAVE system or whatever. But mm. um, it, it's just. But what happens is it's like there's this one little thing, and then this one little thing, and then this one little thing, and this little thing, and this little thing, and then you forget to do mm. one thing, and it's like, you know, this is what happens. This is what happens. Let's put the the captain uh, of the KLM. Uh, plane up on the board. His name is Jacob Van Zanten and perhaps the co-pilot as well. Yeah. Um, This is according to the Vulnerable System, an analysis of the Tenerife Airport air disaster by Carl E. Wyke. As the time of the takeoff approach, the KLM captain seemed a little absent from all that was heard in the cop in the cockpit. While the co-pilot was still repeating the clearance, the captain opened the throttle and started to take off. Then the co-pilot, instead of requesting takeoff clearance or advising that they did uh, not yet have it, added his read back, we are now at takeoff. When the Spanish, American and Dutch investigation teams heard the tower recording together and for the first time, no one understood that this Transmission meant that they were taking off, nor did the Pan Am on hearing that the we are now at takeoff interpret it as an unequivocal indication of takeoff. So what you're saying is, seems to be uh, uh, one of the biggest problems, Alan, which is 
that's not a thing. It's just not a thing you say. <laughs> yeah, you might as well have been like, I'm about to do this or something like that. <laughs> like, it's just like, what? Okay, great. Yeah. It's like the time where uh, I remember we were out to dinner and a waiter came over and bread wasn't complimentary. We were at one of those restaurants mm -hmm. and they were like, does anybody want bread? And I looked around the table and Rebecca kind of shrugged and the person we were with shrugged and I said, we're good for bread. Then, <laughs> oh, yeah, I was there, I think. <laughs> was I there? Because that sounds so familiar. <laughs> and what I, I, what I meant was we're good. We don't need bread. We don't want bread. But, but he was like, these guys definitely want bread. <laughs> <laughs> They're good. We're good for They're bread. They're good for bread. We're good they for good. bread. <laughs> so, but, but, but interestingly, <laughs> what I read, what I read here was, um, afterwards like alan is saying it created a shift and now nobody's allowed to say the word takeoff oh interesting. I, I don't know I, except for the air traffic controller that's something i i read i don't know if that's correct but the only like they ask if i'm clear for departure or ready for oh. departure etc and then the air traffic controller is the only one who can say the words takeoff interesting oh, that makes a lot of sense i mean that's what i read i don't know if that's true of everywhere Right. And you can't just be calling like if you're the pilot, you can't just be take off time, baby. Are we ready to take off? <laughs> Who's taking off today? <laughs> Let me take off the shirt. <laughs> I have to say, it seems to me that Captain Jacob was frazzled. Oh, yeah. yeah. He was in a hurry. He was impatient. Get there. I now, there, apparently the, this uh, captain didn't hadn't been flying recently um so so I, I don't know what we want to call this what we want to put it up on the board perhaps we call it those who can't do teach Mm. Uh, and this is according to the Spanish minister uh, ministry report. Although the captain had flown for many years in Europe and uh, intercontinental routes, he had been an instructor for more than 10 years, which relatively diminished his familiarity with uh, route flying. Moreover, on simulated flights for training, the training pilot normally assumes the role of controller. That is, he issues takeoff clearances. Many cases, no uh, uh, communications whatsoever are used in simulated flights. And for this reason, takeoff takes place without clearance. So giving clearance is what the KLM captain had done most often for the oh. last 10 years as an instructor. Oh. And it is the response he may have reverted to <gasps> as pressure mounted at wow. Tenerife. That's wild. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So what do we call that? Almost like a reflex or yeah, like um, or... being You're teaching out of the instincts. Game? Oh, out of the game. Out of the game. Out yeah. Being, be, yeah. It, it's definitely, I. that's something that I just read in one of the chapters was about how you need to factor in when the last time you flew was and mm. how long ago that was and what type of equipment it was and what the situations wow. were and consider that um before you like while you're making your flight plan for whatever your next flight is it, and it, mm -hmm. and that that's like being like should i do this flight like should i you know do it um and obviously it's different too when it's like your job and you're not just like a private pilot like you know uh, uh, touring the skies you know when you have like a busload of people that are like yeah. bad or whatever um but um <laughs> yeah okay that's 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 pretty that's pretty crazy. 
I, I didn't realize yeah. that that's the way it worked if you're doing like simulation stuff because I've heard of some people that have gotten their pilot license pretty much like exclusively through doing like the like Microsoft Flight Simulator and stuff. Oh, really? Yeah. Apparently, it's well, pretty pretty um, accurate with everything, but I didn't know. I, I didn't know uh, that about like you have to you have to basically be air traffic control too if you're doing that. Well, yeah, because you're doing it. Pro- you're probably just doing it by yourself. There's mm-hmm. no one. You're, it's you have fake. puppets. You have puppets and stuff. <laughs> yeah. So I actually tweaked that to Rusty Skills. Mm. Ooh, I like that. That's uh, now, that's that's my old porn name actually. It's uh, Rusty <laughs> Skills. Sorry, about <laughs> sorry about that. No, thank you. Thank you for that. Okay. <laughs> Oh, I, this is something All that... Alan's jokes come with a, an apology. Sorry about that. Sorry about that. There's a disclaimer and then there's an apology, right? Immediately after this. Same breath. Same breath. He's his own air traffic controller. Like, right, get ready. Alan's about to make a joke. Okay. Take off for joke. <laughs> now, um... We, we we should put something that uh, we've already been discussing. I don't want to forget about it. Uh, lack of standardized air language. So this was not the, you know, this came after. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's put that up on the board. We should also put the VHF radios up on the board. Yeah, now, that, that's that's really scary. That it yes. was just the, the matter of the radio signals literally... We're being sent at the same time, so they cancel each other out. It's like nightmare. Yeah, I'm like, okay, maybe radio isn't the way to go <laughs> for this one. Uh, I don't know. It's crazy. This is. It, they don't work like this usually. Hey, enough. It's that. Jo- it's that joke. <laughs> They're really upset. <laughs> They're really pissed off at me. Um. <laughs> So um, this is according to Carly Wyke. After the KLM co-pilot said, we're now at takeoff, Pan Am said, we are still taxing down the runway. This transmission coincided with the controller's response, stand by for takeoff, I will call you, causing a whistling sound in the tower transmission and making it its reception in the KLM co- cockpit not as clear as it should have been, even though it did not thereby become unintelligible. Telegraph says, pilots and controllers communicate via two-way VHF radios. The process is similar to speaking over a walkie-talkie. A person activates a microphone, speaks, then releases the button and waits for the acknowledgement. It differs from using a telephone, for example, as only one part one party can speak at a time and has no idea what his message actually sounds like over the over the air. If two or more microphones are clicked at the same time, uh, the transmissions cancel each other out, delivering a noisy occlusion of static or a high-pitched squeal called a heterodyne. Heterodyne. So this is like, um, they should put these VHF radios instead of body mics and acting because sometimes we'll be acting and somebody else, this is called stepping on your line. But if they weren't allowed to, what happened at the airport is the ultimate, ultimate version of stepping on someone else's lines. Yes. <laughs> so they need acting training is what you're saying. I mean, we, I think... I think hurt. some blocking. I think some blocking could have helped here. 
<laughs> yes, this is, this is maybe a rehearsal. A director. Maybe they a needed rhyme. a director. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, I know we're we're coming up on time, so uh, we gotta throw up um, the extra fuel. This this you know. Oh, oh yeah. This he made makes like me a, mad. He, he wanted to get like more fuel. Right yeah. The- so before while they were waiting, he uh, the KLM pilot. Uh, sorry, Captain decides that he wants to fuel up in Tenerife, so he doesn't have to fu- uh, fuel up uh, in in uh, the 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 airport they're going to, Las Palmas. So he just wants to like get it out of the way, and he puts in um, something like fifty five tons of of extra fuel than he needs to get to the airport. Now, I guess standard practice is that you c- you should only take on just as much fuel as you need. For a trip and then a, a little extra, uh, but in this incident, the captain fueled up fifty-five tons extra because he didn't want to refuel in the next uh, for the trip back to Amsterdam. So this ended up being this catastrophic decision, and why um, you know the 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 fire was so oh, intense. Geez. Okay, yeah. Gosh, that I mean, yeah. I, also, like there are all these reasons, but. The more we talk about it, I'm like, man, this guy just like really fucked up. Like, and like, you know, that's sort of the thing that's sort of like driving thing of like reading this handbook is that it's like, it's always the pilot's fault. (laughs) Like, unless, like, very, very rarely, unless it's like a truly freak accident where like you get struck by lightning. But even if you got struck by lightning, you shouldn't be out flying. Like, you know, it's it's all these things. It's like, it comes down to like, you looking at all the factors and then making the right choices. And sometimes you don't make the right choices, but you should be able to like, you know, evaluate quickly and readjust. Obviously they didn't have time to in this um, situation. Right. They, they even, they did try to like, um, there, there was some attempt at um, like, you know, um, making up for what was going on. But yeah, it's, it's like that. I forgot about that part, but that specifically, it's like, yeah, this like rests squarely on his, uh, on his gas happy shoulders, man. Why the like? What? It's just so. Oh my god, the yeah. fire, like a fireball. Oh my god. I mean, it, it's a good point, and and maybe I, um, I'm thinking too broadly here. But is there something to the fact that? Okay, so air air flight flight in general is just such a dangerous business that these companies and um, these people who are put in charge of regulating it come up with so many regulations that the liability is sort of off like alan is saying it's always the pilot's fault so there's some regulation some rule somewhere that the pilot either missed or skipped or didn't assess the risk like properly so i don't know if this is too broad but like something like i mean flying is just a dangerous business but it, um, but it isn't. That's the thing. It's like this the the protocols work because like how often do you really hear of of an airline crash like this, like I in, inherently flying, of course, is super dangerous. But, but that's why I think, to Chris's point, um, maybe we put something like a series of systematic failures, which pops uh, up for us sometimes. A, yes, or no, yes, I've, I've, or we absolutely. could put them both up and then go go at it when we deliberate. But what would you call yours? Just like flying being a risky business or dangers of flying. <laughs> Risky business. Yeah, well, no, it, it I, was it was more dangerous back then too. Let right. it, you know, right. we, we should take yeah. that into consideration. This is in the seventies. You right. know, it's been fifty 
uh, almost 50 years. We've we've come a long way. Um, Fine didn't get started till in the 19th, you know, late 19th century. Early, um, early 20th. Yeah, like, and, and also it, it, it's just, the thing is, is that they, it's not even that they shouldn't have flown, but it, it's so many, because they got re-diverted there, mm-hmm. and like, yeah. the airport probably wasn't really used to dealing with like, that many flights and the size of the planes and stuff like that, so, you know, I don't want to put it entirely on that guy, even though it, you know, by definition it kind of is, but... It's just like again, it's just like perfect storm. I don't know, but yeah, I, I do. Storm. I think I think there's something to to be saying for for what Chris is saying, where it's like it's almost like sometimes there's too much for one person to humanly expect to account for. Maybe. Well, so so maybe the planes were just too big. Maybe planes shouldn't carry that many people. Hmm. Okay. So commercialization. Okay. So capitalism, maybe of commercial. You know, like tourism. Commercial flights, tourism. Tourism. Oh, okay. <laughs> Let's blame the, 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 the big heads that brought everyone what? to the Canary Islands in the first place. Oh wait, is that <laughs> is that Easter Island? No, hold on, I got my uh, islands wrong. Yes, I'm not got, sure which one. Got my, that got is. My but let's wrong. let's white lotus this and let's blame the 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 tourists. The tourism industry. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to uh, just get in our listener suggestion. This is coming from Rye. Bion OK at Rye Bion OK. And they say there should never be an airport on that spot. When you land on that airport, it's always as if the plane was entering a parallel world weather wise. Very scary experience. I'm not sure if it's a legend, but I heard from the locals that the specialists who were supposed to find the right spot for the airport specifically marked this place as a big no no, but their mark on the map was misunderstood by the Whoa. company that was hired for the construction. No way. <laughs> now, you know, this might be a legend, but it seems like. The, what our listener is suggesting that uh, it's a this airport there was a bad idea. The, it's got bad juju for sure. Yeah. Mm. Okay, hmm. yeah, I'll put that on the board for sure. So, what do you what do you call that? Just uh, cursed cur- airport. C- uh, cursed airport. <laughs> location, location, location. Well, that's what it is. Yeah, I mean, that's X what the- marks the spot. <laughs> <laughs> that's yes. what it is. I think that what they're talking about is like. I mean, also just again the altitude. It's like, yeah. is this a good place for an airport? They just seem like they planes come out of nowhere. Yeah, yeah, like uh, forced forced airport uh, building construction. <laughs> you can't contractors. Can't- <laughs> contractors. Yeah. Now. Uh, I think we have a good list going, right, Amanda? Yeah, we have a great list. So if you want to take a quick break and come back, I think we're good to go. Let's do it. Let's take a quick break, and then we'll come back and start knocking things off the list. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Who is to blame for the Tenerife airport disaster? The airport bombing in Las Palmas, poor visibility, clouds, high altitude, rushing to comply with Dutch labor laws, <laughs> not enough duty time, punitive culture, get their itis, KLM Captain Jacob Van Zanten and co-pilot, rusty skills, lack of standardized air language, VHF radios, extra fuel, flying is a risky business, Series of systematic failures, planes too big, tourism, <laughs> capitalism, and finally, location, location, location. <laughs> okay, this this is actually a tough list. Um, yeah. Everything could be to blame. I think that what we got to do here is we got to say that the pilot and the co-pilot are like pretty high up there, and I bet... I bet we can put a, some of these under that. If you, do, yeah, does, does we that can make fold sense? things in. Yeah. Yeah, 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 let's do that. Let's do so that. So, like, I would say get their itis and rusty skills. Um, go with the pilot. I would say even the Dutch labor laws would probably go under that because that's like them trying to do that. Mm. Right, yeah, the right. Rush, the rushing. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. And we can separate punitive culture. That, okay. that could be its own thing. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but not enough duty time and punitive culture go together. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm going to roll not enough duty time into punitive culture or? Yep. What that you- works. Great. Okay. Love it. Lack of standardized air language. That's a bad one. VHF radios. Also bad. The extra fuel. That could go under the pilot. But Yeah. 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 But th- that also made it, it made a bad situation even worse. Right, right, right. I mean, should I ro- roll it in? Yeah, I think roll it in because also I think that what we're finding out is that it's like okay, well, at least one or two is going to be the pilot. I don't. I mean, I don't want to. 
I don't want to force our hand here. <laughs> you, we, getting <laughs> wanna, ahead of yourself yep, a little yep. bit. <laughs> I just want to. I would never want to do that. Um, but also, like even like the series of systematic failures, like a lot of them were the pilots. Like you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Like so that's sort of like. I like. Mm. I don't like. It's like VHF radios. I think we could maybe lose because it's like yes, that yes, that there was a problem with this one. But look at how many flights happen every day that there aren't that problem. Um, yeah, and Although, in a way, that's that's on on the pilots for um, cutting each other off. Yeah. <laughs> I mean that that you can file under. I think that's just just that 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 happened. They said that something at the same exact time. Sh- shouldn't there have been like I don't know. Here's like, what I that high pitched. Be- you hear that high pitched sound right. and like you say, wait, wait, what? Sorry, what? <laughs> I-, I didn't catch that last yeah. thing you said. I'm with you. I mean, I don't know. It's just it is shocking. Like you guys were saying, like that. Just Should we fe- have put air traffic control? Oh yeah, on there. Like, yeah. I'm just wondering, uh, we we probably would end up crossing them off. So should we just like yeah. honorarily put them on we, and all cross them to. off? Yeah. Because they were involved in all this miscommunication. Yeah. And I think that we can fold in poor visibility and high altitude into the clouds. Yep. Okay. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Um, and how about any of these down here? Because we went a little wild at the end with tourism no. and capitalism and planes too big. <laughs> I love planes too big, though. I just love looking at it. I love planes too big. These planes are too damn big. Um, they are so big. They, there's Wait, no did need we, for a plane to be did that we big. Put, we, we, did we mention snakes on the plane? There are snakes on this plane. That was like also a big problem. Okay, sorry. Is that true? No. Oh, wait. <laughs> Is that <That's> like, true? <laughs> Chris is really gullible, so please be careful you gotta with be what careful. you say. Sorry. That was the first so, thing they, they said in flight school. They were like, make sure there aren't any snakes on the plane. <laughs> It'll be entertaining as hell, but ultimately. Yeah, we're all going to die. We're all going to die. <laughs> oh, so yeah, I think what maybe about tourism could, and capitalism? Because tour, tourism yeah. would go under capitalism yeah, anyway, yeah. probably, right? Yeah. Colonialism, and I also think we can, okay. Well, maybe. definitely. Get definitely. Don't even get us started. Well, that... that really you know folds into the the bombing actually ha- yes that, <laughs> oh. you know like literally oh the yeah. bombing yeah for sure the bombing's a bad one you guys it's kind of crazy yeah. though just because it's like at, at first i was like wow the bombing is like but then just hearing about how um i don't want to say it wasn't bad it was bad bombings are bad pretty much yes uh, across the board let's just say bombings terrorism are bad. is terrible terrorism is bad but um you know, just the, the um, it it wasn't as bad as what happened with the plane accident. So as deadly, yeah. As deadly, as deadly, yeah. Let's say that. Um, but uh, so I don't know. It's almost like it's kind of funny, but I'm like, that's like the least of the problem <laughs> in a weird way. It's yeah, almost it's like, weird. Uh, I mean, but it but did, it but it did the, cause it, them the to circumstance, right. the circumstance, yeah. Yeah. all the panic, it did too. 
And the the airport, it's not the airport's fault that they're, you know, they're they're not, they weren't made to handle such large amounts of diversion. And you can also say, like, look, this captain and this flight crew who knew about this bombing, I'm sure they were really rattled by that. Mm -hmm. Actually, I don't know if they knew. Oh, they didn't know? I'm not sure. They were just diverted without being told? Yes, they definitely were diverted without being told. It's possible that they found out what had happened once they were on the ground. Right, but um, they, because they weren't, they didn't want to right. freak anybody out. Ta- yeah, Twitter, freak anyone like, out. Exactly. Like I'm gonna. What about wrapping VHF radio's lack of standardized air language into series of systematic failures? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Isn't that called the Swiss? Don't haven't we called it the Swiss cheese? Uh, yes, uh-huh. that, that's the, the protection mechanism. Is yeah. the Swiss cheese effect? I love that. And then so, how about planes too big, Rebecca? Let's let's talk. <laughs> I think okay. Alan's the one who wants to keep that one. No, I, I'm I'm with Alan on that one too. I just gotcha. do we need to put that many people in the sky? Like, I, I don't know. I look at birds and they're not that big. And they they fly solo. Like even when they're in a, <laughs> you know, they're not all jamming in like one like goose bus and like flying. You know, they're. They do it on their own, you know. It's That's right. That's every right. every every bird for themselves. Independent they teach you spirit. about that in yeah. flight school. Yeah, yeah basically they the just chapters? basically we just look at birds and they're just like, you know, you get it. Do it like Although, that. It's right. They're, they fly. Okay. What do you want me to tell you? She says that a lot. What do you want me to tell you? <laughs> okay, you guys. We only have like a, a minute left. So yes. We've got to make right. a hard decision here. So uh, just so we know, we've got the the terrorism, the the bombing, the clouds, punitive culture, the KLM uh, captain. Flying is a risky business. We can take that out mm-hmm. um, because we know that, and and that kind of goes with planes too big. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Series of systematic failures. Location we can take out. Again, it wasn't the location's fault. Mm-hmm. It was more the cloud's fault. Yeah, so this is who is, who is to – I mean, who is to blame? I mean, I'm looking mm-hmm. at an answer right there, and it's not Rusty Skills. I'll tell you that. I mean, well, it is, but <laughs> – <laughs> I mean, it sounds like you know what you want to do, Rebecca. Are you ready to make – the decision or do you want to you need to narrow in on a few I, take a few more things off i think i i know who i want to blame i think i know who i want to send to the alarmist jail hmm. um and i think i also know who i want to slap okay okay um what do you guys think about sending the captain to jail and the terrorism wow. at the airport giving that the big slap okay I don't have an issue with that. Okay. I'm going to call I, yeah, it. I don't know how I could argue against that. I think we should slap more terrorists, to be per- perfectly honest. <laughs> <laughs> Thank okay. you, Alan. Yeah, That's yeah, yeah. For very sure. noble of you. <laughs> yeah. I'm kind, of a, I'm kind of a hawk. You know. You're kind of a good guy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm going to call it airport bombing in Las Palmas, terrorists. You're getting the big slap. <laughs> KLM Captain Jacob Van Zanten and your co-pilot, you're going to the alarmist jail. You know, the, the co-pilot got thrown in at the last minute, but <laughs> I, I think uh, you're a duo, right? You, you got it. You're there for a reason, right? You can't right. just let the captain, you know, run, run the 
show. Well, was it you know? also the captain sort of started going and then the co-pilot was like, we're going to, we're taking off. And that's where that phrase. Came. Yeah. So it was the, the co-pilot who said the, the takeoff phrase. Yeah. I think he was more concerned than the captain. I mean, there, there might yeah. be, a, you know, maybe there's a, this, maybe there's a question mark at the end of what he said. He's like, we're at takeoff. Like, yes. What? <laughs> <laughs> Again, acting lessons could have helped. That's right. <laughs> That's right. I, I, in this weird documentary I watched, it said that the pilot, uh, the co-pilot had been the student of the captain oh, at some point. Too deferential. Yeah. Mm. Okay. So anyway, they're both they're gonna have to figure things out at, in the alarmist jail. Yeah. Um, and they'll talk it through. And Alan, thank you so much for helping us get to the bottom of who was to blame for this terrible Tenerife airport disaster. Thank you for having me. I was so excited to be here. Um, I'm sorry to the the accident, but um, yeah. this is fun. I and I, you know, I love you guys. I've loved you guys for so long. I know. I, we love I, you too. I, Alan. I, like yeah. So it's <laughs> it's good to be good to be here. In the aftermath, the disaster at Tenerife Airport led to many sweeping changes in aviation safety regulations. Most importantly, standard radio communications were strengthened and requirements were implemented for readback of instructions received. Aviation authorities worldwide enforced the use of standard phrases and English as the common language for the industry. Airline crews were encouraged to work together and to challenge decisions regardless of seniority. Though the traditional hierarchy within the crew continues to inhibit collaboration and has contributed to other accidents since 1977. Los Rodeos Airport did install ground radar following the accident, and a second airport was opened on the island at a lower altitude in 1978. KLM was initially reluctant to accept the blame for the deadly crash, arguing that it was a mutual misunderstanding between the airline's crew and the airport's controllers. Ultimately, the Dutch airliner accepted responsibility, paying settlements between $58,000 and $600,000 to the families of the victims, a measly compensation for the invaluable lives that were lost. Vote for who you think is to blame by going to thealarmistpodcast.com. Follow us at the Alarmist the on Twitter, at the Alarmist Podcast on Instagram, or email us at thealarmistpodcast at gmail.com. Tune in next week. We'll be discussing the 1858 Bradford Sweets Poisoning. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.